for the Athletic Podcast Network. This is the update. I'm Adam Copeland. On today's show, we'll talk to Tim Kawakami, who covers the Warriors for the Athletic, about the Warriors' Game 5 win on Monday night at Chase Center. A hell of a victory for the Warriors, who, by the way, combined between Steph, Wiggins, Otto Porter, Draymond Green, did not make a three-pointer. The Warriors, 9 of 40 from three-point range, and Steph Curry's 233 consecutive game three-pointer made streak comes to an end. However, Andrew Wiggins, 13 more rebounds, 26 more points to the rescue, and how about a Big night for Klay Thompson, 7 of 14 from the field for 21 points as the Warriors are on the brink of yet another NBA title. All things we can talk about with Tim Kawakami, who joins me next. Today is Wednesday, June 15th. It's a pleasure to welcome back to the update, Tim Kawakami. He covers everything for The Athletic, but we'll be talking a little Warrior basketball today after the Warriors top the Boston Celtics in Game 5 of the NBA Finals. 104-94, Tim, did you think we'd be talking about a game in the Finals where Steph didn't make a three and the Warriors won by double digits? Yeah, well, since he's never not made a three in the playoffs ever, uh, no. Uh, you figure just one of them was going to slide in at some point, even in the late going, just to just get one in there. He was just off. He was like, basically, our seats are sort of behind, to the corner behind the basket, so I could see when he's come shooting in my direction. It was just offline. You know, hey, he's the world's greatest shooter. Sometimes you're going to have these nights. He was not going to go 43-10 and 10 in every game, Copes. Like, that was pretty, I was pretty sure about that one. Uh, you know, it's tough. This, these are tough games. His gravity still means everything, uh, as his fans do insist on every time you ever say anybody else's name, but that's okay. Everything else works from that. It just wasn't going in, and, and the worst. I, I was going to say, the, the, the Celtics have to be, be completely you know, kicking themselves or upset with themselves or whatever. Is They did lose a game, the, uh, the crucial game five when it's tied 2-2, when Steph Curry couldn't make it three. Like That is when the Celtics should win a game, absolutely. But the Warriors' other guys and, and then Steph's other, you know, complete floor game, uh, that energy, that experience. The Warriors look fresher, by the way. They're the older team, but they look fresher. All those things came together, and obviously it was a, just a huge, huge victory for the Warriors. What do you think has gone wrong for Boston in this series? Because there's been times where in the two games where they won, you know, game one and then game three, you look at those two, and there are moments where I think, boy, they're a better team than the Warriors. I don't know how deep they are. They they don't have a lot of ability to go deep into their bench. They've got like eight guys, seven guys really that they can play. And when Williams is out there, he's been fantastic. Marcus Smart had a decent game, I thought, in game five. Jalen Brown has kind of disappeared or hasn't been efficient for the last couple. He was over from the three-point line uh, himself. What do you think has gone wrong for them in the last couple? I think they're wearing down a little bit. They've played two more games in the Warriors, including back-to-back seven-game series in the East to get through to the finals. There's been a cost to that. It doesn't mean that they're done. It just means I think their legs are a little heavier than the Warriors right now. And Jason Tatum is playing almost the entire game. Jalen Brown's playing almost the entire game. Now, so is Wiggins. Uh, slightly fewer minutes, but he looks fresh. I, I think there is a kind of accumulation of this. And I think it's really hurting them on offense. Like, the ball's just not moving. Smart had a better game in Game 5 than he did in Game 4. I don't think he's healthy. Uh, I, I don't think he's moving great. He's not guarding Steph every time he's out there, which is, a, I think, a sign. Do you really want Derrick White covering Steph and not Marcus Smart? Or is that a physical decision? I think it's a decision about where his leg is at. Robert Williams has played great. He's the highest plus minus on the team last game. But he doesn't look like he's moving great. And I just think it bogs down their offense. They're not, you know, it just gets down to isolation for either Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum. You go get them. And the Warriors are pretty good when it's just one guy, you know, putting their head down and going to the rim. The Warriors are less effective. Everyone's less effective playing defense when the ball's popping around. And all of a sudden it's here, it's there, boom, open three, which we saw 
the Celtics do in Game 1's fourth quarter and in the third quarter of Game 5. But it's harder to do when you're not moving real well. Like, you can't sustain that. Or when Draymond is just locked in on somebody. Or Wiggins is playing the defense he's playing. I think there's a little leg weariness. I think the Celtics' offense is a little limited. You know, they're scoring 94, 96 a game. The Warriors don't have to go crazy on offense to beat that, right? It's a 104, 106, 107, and they win by 10. This is just kind of a maybe, a, yeah, you're right. The mention, the bench is not there for the Celtics. Peyton Pritchard, right? He's not going to beat you if you're the Warriors, so I'm, I, I would bet. Derek White kind of did in game one, and since then it's been a disaster. He's been m- minus double digits every single game. Grant Williams has not had a great game, and, you know, he's a guy who was torching the East. You know, every other game he was, he was knocking down threes. That's not happening. Strength in numbers can be a cliche, but the Warriors are getting, you know, Gary Payton, boom. You know, the Bielitsa pops out there for a few minutes. Like, Jordan Poole has, like I've said, they just, they don't need 30 good, good minutes out of him. They just need 20, sometimes 15. And he gave him like, six really good minutes and 14 others that weren't so great. But those six minutes really matter. They count. Like, when everybody else is holding up their share, they just get these extra stuff. So, uh, they're deeper. They're more experienced, and I think they're just a little more versatile than, than the Celtics right now. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the you know being down in a series or, or understanding your body at this time of year and, and understanding what it takes to bounce back or to continue to push through a, a long series like this, this is something the Celtics have not experienced before. They haven't played this deep, most of these guys, ever into a postseason. You mentioned Andrew Wiggins and, and the defense he's played on the wing. He probably matches up better with Brown or with Tatum better than anybody else in the Warriors just because of his length, his physicality. He's kind of a rangy guy out there. He didn't have a super efficient game from the field. 12 of 23 for 26 points, but the the 13 rebounds, the slashing to the rim. He's given the Warriors an element that we haven't seen in the last couple of years. Would you agree with that? No question. I mean, since they lost Durant, you know, this is a team that loves two-way wings, and he is a two-way wing and didn't have one. You know, there was, you know, Glenn Robinson or, you know, Alec Burks, right? I mean, right. you know, they, they were scrambling. They're not trying to rip those guys, but that's, that wasn't what this was. D'Angelo Russell, was, you know, was a no-defense point guard. They understood what Wiggins could do physically for them, and then now they've, you know, it's just been more and more, you know, relentlessness, intent, commitment from him. You just see it on the floor. You know, you don't hear it sometimes when he's speaking. That's just his personality. But you, he shows it on the floor. He's just flying through the air. I mean, that first quarter, he and Draymond were just barreling out there. Uh, and that sets a tone. And Wiggins has become, against all odds, against his reputation, a tone setter for the Warriors. And he's taken, you know, Doncic's. Before that, Morant, and now Jason Tatum. These are three of the best offensive players in the league. Three of the top seven, you might say. And he's taken all three of them. You know, stop them, but he makes it really hard for him and makes it inefficient. And he forces the offense to do go try something else. There's immense value in that. It's, you know, Iguodala-like value. I know Warriors fans go crazy. That, oh, you're going to say he's going to be MVP. No, Steph's going to be Finals MVP if they win. And let me just say that. Steph Curry is going to be Finals MVP if they win. That is happening. You are allowed to praise other people on the team, though. And Andrew Wiggins has been unbelievably good, especially the last two games, you know, getting double-digit rebounds, getting high-point numbers. And you talk about inefficiency, but you take away the 0 for 6. I know you can't, but you take away the 0 for 6 for 3. He was, what, 12 for 17 for 2. And those are tough baskets, man. Those are necessary baskets. When the tide is turning, when it looks like the Celtics are going on a run or do are on a run, Wiggins and Clay got those buckets that kept the Warriors tied to them, kept the Warriors in the flow. They were competing with the Celtics. 
And that's when, you know, the surge happens because those guys are setting it up and are, are, are part of the surge too. So in the two biggest games of the year, the season on the line, a championship on the line, Wiggins has been everything they could have asked for him. And like 10 times more, 20 times more. I mean, this is this is amazing stuff. I'm calling it Finals Wiggins. This is a revelation. When we thought this was a guy who might be best, you know, when nobody was watching, and it's best if you're not paying attention, gets his little fake numbers and that's it. No, he's at his best when everybody's watching when every possession matters and they're leaning on him he's been their second most reliable player second best player i'd say in these series you know curry's number one obviously if you ask me who the second best has been through maybe the entire postseason i'd probably say andrew wiggins what he's doing on the glasses is sort of unbelievable i mean what's he go like four and a half rebounds a game in the regular season what's he pull i mean 29 rebounds or something in the last two games for him he's been he's been out of this world and he's given them an element on the glass that they were sort of missing all season remember we were talking around deadline time trade deadline time that is did they have uh, enough uh, uh, big men were they able to uh, to rebound and bang with some of these bigger teams and andrew wiggins has been the guy he's sort of been their their power forward weapon when it terms in terms of uh, pulling down boards I never really bought the big guy thing. I'll just have to say, I mean, they were one of the best rebounding teams all season. And I think they were the best defensive rebounding team for most of the season. So, I mean, I don't get lost in the size stuff. They just scrambled to the ball. Wiggins wasn't great rebounding, but, you know, they got some other guys who, who they do it as a collective. Uh, and Looney obviously has turned it up in the postseason. And now Wiggins, exactly, he's playing like a power forward. Like when, they're, when Draymond isn't playing great, guess who they absolutely desperately need? Andrew Wiggins. When Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are matched up against him, guess what they absolutely need? They need they need Andrew Wiggins. And he is more than delivered in all the physical stuff. Again, that's not stuff that we associate with him. The physical stuff, the bouncing around, the you know, the pushing, the you know, the leaning on people. Uh, he's leaning on Jason Tatum. There's no question. Tatum's a big dude, right? He's bigger than, than Andrew Wiggins. He's bulkier, those shoulders, he's long, and Wiggins is competing with him every step of the way. Uh Steve Kerr mentioned something before the game. I asked him about Bielitsa's, like, his numbers guarding, like, Luka, Jokic, and Tatum are ridiculous in switches. I mean, just utterly ridiculous. I was like, how is this happening? Because we know he's not a great, I didn't say this, but that's the implication. We know he's not a great defensive player. And Kerr says, you know, sometimes in the playoffs, they let you get away with more, right? I mean, you, stuff that you reach in that they call a foul in the regular season, they don't call a foul in the playoffs, and it lets guys kind of be more physical. Bielitsa's not a super physical guy. Either is Wiggins, but it allows them to kind of grapple with these guys instead of getting two quick fouls. And I think maybe we're seeing some of this with Wiggins. Now, the other team has every right to do all that too, right? And we are seeing them do it. Marcus Smart does it. But Wiggins, I think, has just been really effective kind of using that extra physicality that he's been allowed to in the playoffs, using his length and that you know that kind of you know, wire-like strength. Like he's not bulky, but he's not get, he doesn't get bounced around very much, even by Jason Tatum. He's going up against Robert Williams. Did convert once uh, in Game Five. Other times he hasn't. But you got to try, right? You got to try to do it. Uh, and Wiggins is their guy who's doing it. I'm not writing them off, uh, Boston. Uh, going home for no, a no, game six. It's, it's a team that uh, that had not lost two in a row all postseason before losing Game Five, and losing three in a row would certainly be kind of a surprise. But this is what you want: a home court advantage. It comes down to a best of three, and you get two games at home if you're the Warriors. What was the environment like out there? I just want to hear from you uh, in Boston. I know things were, were crazy out there for the first couple of games that the Warriors played. I would say probably in my mind maybe the craziest environments they played in in the, this Finals run or in this dynasty. What do you think? Memphis was pretty crazy too. I'll put that. You know, Memphis got really, really hostile and loud, and you know they're playing those late night games, right? It, that that is the Warriors' disadvantage. The West Coast disadvantage is you play at six instead of playing at nine, and 
there's a few hours there that people might be uh, doing some things to get prepared for a game. You know, uh, there might be some liquid involved. <laughs> uh, and that's what I would say. The Memphis crowd was, you know, really loud and, you know, hostile, whatever. The, the Boston crowd was drunk. It was drunk. There was 14,000 of the, you know, 17,000 were drunk and just screaming all game long. You know, that's what, that's supposed to be what you want that environment you want to beat that environment. that's why that you know you know they want to clinch you, you always want to clinch as soon as you can you know draymond steph and clay want to clinch ambassador right they want to shut those people up whatever you do what you do you buy your ticket but that was borderline ugly crowd i'd say borderline ugly crowd nothing physical or anything that's where you cross the line but it was pure hatred you know coming out of those stands i was in the middle of it for the first for game three i was upstairs for game four so felt a little less of it but uh, although uh, one unruly fan tried to fight Dalton Johnson from NBC Sports <laughs> Bay Area as we were getting Jesus. on the elevator, but it just was a little bit touch of it. This is like it, it's a, it's a angry crowd. It's an angry crowd. Now there are angry people at Chase Center. There are angry people in every situation. But the, what I would communicate to you, since you're asking me, is it was an furious crowd. It was just ready to see some blood, metaphorically, metaphorically, but. That was the feeling there, uh, and the Warriors certainly felt it. And you know, that's a huge you know one game four in the middle of it. That's why they loved it so much, and that's why they would really love, 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 love to win game six. But you do want just two shots at it, right? You just said get get Clay to go off for forty in one of the two, get Steph to go for forty in one of the two. That's you get two shots at it. Are you know are one of them going to be off for both games? Nah, eh, maybe. But are both going to be off for both games? That's the point. You want you want the two shots at it, and they got it. Although if they lose game six, game seven, you know that it's going to be pretty nervous at Chase Center. But that's fun. Nervous is fun. Yeah, nervous is fun, and, and a chance to maybe exercise some Father's Day demons, right? Uh, we all remember the three the three one loss happened on a, on a Father's. I Day. I don't think they want to think too much about <laughs> no. that, but yes, uh, we'll all be thinking about yeah. Cleveland in Game Six and Kyrie Irving. Uh, that's what happens when you get to a Game Seven. We'll see. I mean, they could take care of it again. I, I'm talking about how Boston's tired. They, they might give it a big run. In game six, and there's not have enough again. Still, and we know these Warriors can are resilient, can, can take the blow, and then come right back at them. Though they have had three shots to clinch each one of the previous three series on the road, and they have gone zero and three in those games, and then clinched back at home. They've clinched at home each one of the previous three seasons. Maybe that is over. Maybe they clinch it in game six on Thursday, but they have had these shots, and they haven't uh, come come through with them. We'll see what happens. I do think Boston is they're wobbling. So one big, big, you know, crushing blow by the Warriors in the second quarter or third quarter could do it if they have that in them or they come back to Game 7. A haymaker could do it. Tim, thanks so much, man. Great coverage all postseason and going to be a fun couple of days. We'll catch up with you later. Anytime, Copes. Thanks. Great stuff from Tim Kawakami. He's done a great job covering the Warriors all postseason. And if you're missing any of that stuff, make sure you're uh, you're reading it all on The Athletic. Marcus Thompson, uh, Anthony Slater, Tim Kawakami, all of our uh, our uh, basketball writers doing a great job covering this postseason as the Warriors with a chance to go for their fourth NBA title in eight years. Incredible. And, and a great note, by the way, the 20th win in the NBA Finals by Steph, Clay, and Draymond. It's the most wins in NBA Finals history by a trio. So these goals Golden State Warriors, future Hall of Famers, still making history in their eighth NBA Finals appearance. It's just incredible. This could be their fourth title in the last eight years. 
Thank you to Tim Kawakami. Thank you to Brian Smith, my producer. Thank you to you, the listener. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever it is you're listening. The Warriors could be champions following tomorrow night's game in Boston, actually, for Game 6. A Game 6 is always a scary one, but you'd much rather be the team up 3-2. And by the way, the team that wins a game, uh, when it's tied 2-2, that wins that Game 5, goes on to win 82% of the time. So even if they lose this game, the Warriors will get another chance on Sunday at Chase Center to take home their fourth title in eight years. Until then, everybody enjoy the week. We'll talk to you soon.